This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, April 18th, 2021. Huge ratings this week. The data scientists at WrestleNomics headquarters have been working tirelessly on a new WrestleNomics O-meter measuring system to measure the normalcy, or lack thereof, of week-to-week ratings. That system was broken this week. In the first week in the post-war era of wrestling TV ratings. Much to everyone's relief, WWE finally put out its proxy statement. Nick Khan has been compensated enough money probably to fund a small army. That means we also got an update on WWE ownership. Plus, exciting new revelations from the world of correspondence between World Wrestling Entertainment and the Securities and Exchanges Commission. Just who are WWE's biggest customers? Whoever they are, we now know by year just how much they paid WWE. All that coming up, but first. And now joining us from uh, WrestleNomics HQ2, Chris Gullo, who is suffering from the second vaccine shot right now. Yeah, I got the chills a little bit, but uh, I'm powering through here for the, the great WrestleNomics uh, listener audience. So. Yes. You, got, you, you got the Pfizer vaccine, now your yep. second dose. Just three weeks from now, you will be immune. You will have full immunity. You'll be 99% immune from COVID-19. Until they say, hey, you got to get it again in six months. Until it <laughs> mutates. That's what I'm expecting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I expected to have a, a new microphone by this time, but I do not have it. I, I bought a microphone, a uh, pod, what is it? The Rode, Rode brand pod mic. Uh, from eBay, from a mysterious uh, seller who had very few, uh, you know, very few interactions or transactions in, in their parentheses. And I, but I figured it would be fine because it was a good price, and I'll, I'll take my chances. I never got it, and that that user is now deleted. That user now does not exist on eBay. So I've had to order that microphone from Amazon. Hopefully, I'll get a refund here from eBay or something. But, Do you happen uh, to buy it through PayPal at all? No, I use my eBay? credit card. I use my credit okay. card, but I'll, I'll, I think I can, I think I'll be fine. Otherwise, uh, re- there's going to be some problems for the Russell Knox accounting department pretty soon. I've been working on Python. Do you know what Python is? We've discussed this before. I'm uh, building Frankenstein's out of uh, Python script in most of my free time at the moment. Uh, I'm creating programs that will scrape Shilba's daily, that will scrape Google Trends. That's mostly, that's mostly been established, but now I'm, I'm building programs that will automatically read the text, the top 150 texts on the Showbiz Daily pages, and that will automatically open Showbiz Daily web pages in my browser. So look out. I have submitted my uh, API application to Twitter. They uh, they sent an email back to me saying they need more information from me. So I don't know what all other information they need from me beyond what I already gave them, but uh, we'll see what happens. If I will be creating any Twitter bots in the in the near future, we'll see. All right, so you uh, you're ready to kind of talk about the week after WrestleMania here, and it was a pretty eventful week, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We'll get right into it. Something we talked about last week. We were very intrigued on the ratings. How are the ratings going to turn out for uh, the shows that were moving and just for Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania? And we'll kind of start with uh, AEW, which might be the darling of the week uh, with their ratings increase. Uh, why don't you get into a little bit of how I believe 1.2 million. Uh, yes. Total viewers. The, the big story in ratings this week, Ms. and Mrs., Wipe out, <laughs> totally overshadowed by by AEW's rating. As you said, 1.2 million viewers, the second highest AEW has ever done for Dynamite on TNT, just short of its debut, which also did 1.2 million viewers, but a little bit more than this one. Um, did a 0.44 in the demo rating of 18 to 49. That comes out to about 570,000 viewers in, in that key ad demo. That is not the highest, uh, the second highest in the history of the show that is only the highest since December 9th, which is that episode after winter is coming that did even better than a- than winter is coming. Uh, that had sort of the, the advertised uh, interview of sting for the first time. Um, but a really high rating, uh, a lot better than it had been doing in the weeks uh, leading up to this, to the, the final weeks of the Wednesday night war were really uh, NXT getting more and more competitive with, uh, with AEW uh, than it, than it had been in the, in the, more recent months. So, but this did, I I don't know what they did last week. They did something like 700 or 800,000 viewers total. Uh, 700, I believe. And, uh, but this episode in 1849 ranked number two on among cable originals. Uh, it beat two NBA games that it was going against on ESPN. That's impressive. Which I've, I've heard Tony Khan is ecstatic about, uh, it did not beat Challenge, of course, MTV, which ranked number one on cable. And it did not beat The Masked Singer on Fox, which did an enormous demo number of well, 1.22. But uh, I was very surprised by this. I was uh, sort of refreshing Showbiz Daily, of course, on Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. And uh, I was just shocked when I saw this 1.2 million viewer number. I had to, to look a couple times to make sure I didn't make a mistake because I do I do make mistakes sometimes here and, and like read the wrong number in the in the row. Well, I'll just say we knew there was going to be an increase. I was expecting a million. I'm sure maybe that's what you were expecting too. I, I was expecting NXT to benefit more from this move than than AEW. I expected AEW to benefit as well, but NXT NXT to benefit more because I sense and, and there's sort of the numbers and the trends over over the last year and a half bear this out that. People have chosen wrestling fans have chosen AEW a little bit more than they have chosen NXT. So now not not having to make that choice that that would benefit NXT more, but it didn't. Um, AEW uh, benefited a lot more, at least in one week, and we'll see what happens uh, in in the weeks to come. But uh, when this number in the minutes after this number was first realized, I brought this to the attention of of someone in AEW who may or may not have previously hosted this podcast. And he did not believe me that that was the real number. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I said, no, oh, showbuzz will have it in a moment. And then, and they, they did. Um, so that, and this is, this is Nielsen. This is the number that anybody's going to have access to. Um, although if you're a Nielsen subscriber, you'll have access to a wider variety of, of demos and breakdowns and, and things of that nature. But uh, yeah, what, what do we attribute this to though? Um, you had Mike Tyson. Is it is it WrestleMania 14 here all over again? Did Mike Tyson draw this number? And I, I, I kind of doubt it. Um, I, I'm sure he helps, but he, I don't think he's the lone factor. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, "Hey, look, Chris Jericho did this interview on the WWE Network on WrestleMania weekend, 
with Steve Austin, the Steve Austin podcast, whatever they call it, uh, which some people have called an, an ad, a two-hour ad on the WWE Network for AEW. Um, maybe that's a factor too. It was Mania Week, so it's maybe sort of a general, uh, it was, you know, it's the first episode following WrestleMania, so maybe there's a general increased interest in wrestling overall. Um, but also, AEW, I don't know if this is reported elsewhere, but AEW did local advertising on USA the night before when NXT was on in some markets. So maybe that's a factor too. Yeah. Um, as far as a, a demo, this is re- really on the high end, but but not so high, uh, so much on the high end as the total viewership was. But we'll see what happens. I guess the, the question is, you know, is how close is this number to where AEW now lives? I expect it will be lower uh, this coming Wednesday when we get the number on Thursday. Um, we'll be over a million though. I, I guess that's a... I remember saying this. I'm so proud of myself, though. Well, I remember saying, you know, a million is a good over under to think about where AEW was going to perform in its debut episode. And I think a million is a good over under to think about where it's going to perform next week as far as are they going to maintain uh, this audience of this size. Um, I, would, I would expect about a million, maybe about a million, and maybe a, b- a bit lower in the demo, maybe a 0. .40 or something like that is a good good over under. One of the factors that I think it is, and I know it's not the key demo, but the 50 and plus, I mean, looking at it, that increased uh, for for AEW. And, I mean, you think these are probably WWE loyalists that now don't have a WWE program Wednesday nights. Oh, Big Show's over there. Oh, Chris Jericho's over there. I feel like that's kind of what gravitated them to over there. Um, oh, well, I'll check that out since there is no WWE program on this evening. That's right. And did you know that the... Viewers over the age of 50 this week who watched the Dynamite on TNT. This was the biggest P50 Plus audience in the history of Dynamite. Bigger than the debut episode. Bigger than any P50 Plus audience that NXT has had on the USA Network. As we may know, as viewer, you know, listeners may know, NXT beat AEW, I think, in, in every week except for one among viewers 50 or over there are some weeks where we just don't have the the p50 plus number because they didn't finish in the top 50 for 1849 but in those that we do i think there's only one instance where AEW beat uh nxt in p50 plus so this this big total viewer number is totally carried by by viewers over the age of 50 um so we'll move on to nxt all right, so and uh, NXT first Tuesday night show in a permanent time slot there, and they saw an increase as well. Well, it took a nice increase, but Brandon, from what you're alluding to, you expected even more. Um, I, I would have to look. I mean, they still did a, a, a really good number compared to what they had done the last week. It's weird because, you know, as I said, NXT appeared to be gaining ground on AEW in the weeks leading up to the end of the war here, and they did something that was within the range of what they had done the week in, in those last two weeks of the war, they did a 0.22 in the demo. It's what they did the last two weeks. Uh, but they did do, I, I don't know that they even did a, a higher viewership number. I would have to look, but they did a 0.22 in the demo. That's the same as they did for the, for the takeover. Now granted they did the takeover where they had some portion of viewers that we don't know watching on, on Peacock because that takeover episode was on both Peacock and USA network. Um, but two weeks ago they did a 0.21 in the demo. Again, they did a 0.22 this week. So almost the same but then three weeks ago they, they went all the way down to a 0.14 so uh what is that that's like a third that's thir- a 33 percent increase over that and then that 0.14 was more in the neighborhood of what they had been doing in in uh in the month in the last few months of the wednesday night war um 
in in the demo, so I, I really figured that these two programs would be really competitive, uh, would be more competitive now in terms of their numbers, not running head to head. But AW beat NXT in all of the, I think there's eight or nine Showbiz demos. Uh, AW was ahead solidly on all of them. By the way, Raw, uh, we'll talk about Raw in a moment, but Raw was ahead of AEW. So now we've got, we got, and, and, and this is nothing really new, but we've got you know, these, these really different stratospheres where uh, Raw and SmackDown live up here, SmackDown doing a little bit better, and we got Raw you know, there, and then there's this AEW stratosphere, and now there's this near it, but right below it, the NXT stratosphere. And then, of course, very close to the ground, there's the Impact stratosphere. Uh, but that, yeah, that's, that's, that's where they are. And I think the question about NXT is a similar one to the question about AEW. Is, is this, how close is this to their normal rating going forward when they're not opposed on a Tuesday night? Um, this more so than the AEW number where I, where I say, you know, they did 1.2 million here. I think they, a good over under is a million. I think the number that they did here is a good over under for what they will do going forward or they will do this coming week. Um, 800,000 viewers, 0.22 in the demo. Uh, if they do lower than that, it starts to get cons- not concerning yeah. to the to the network and all that stuff, but sort of like, oh, I th- thought maybe they would do better. Well, it's interesting because this total viewer count that they got was the average that AEW would get going against them head to head, and then this is the number that that they got uh, here on a Tuesday running unopposed. Um, I mean, I expected it might even be a little more, but I mean, eight hundred five thousand, I think, is pretty much what it. You know, it's. It's a good. It's a very good increase from. I mean, what they average? They usually average what six to six fifty. I think something so. like that. Uh, six fifty seven hundred yeah. in the last couple months, and then moving on to Monday Night Raw. It's post WrestleMania episode. Of course, at, at least in my opinion, Monday Night Raw is post WrestleMania is is very interesting because of how the crowd is going to react. And although there were fans at WrestleMania, there were not fans. who were back in the Thunderdome. Uh, for for Raw last year, the Postmania episode did a totally normal number relative to what it had been doing in the previous weeks. It, there was no pop. There was no post WrestleMania pop in the number. It was like negative one compared to the median of the last four weeks last year. This year, something like a sixteen percent increase compared to the last four weeks. This was the highest. What is it? This was the the highest total audience since January fourth since that Legends night with Hogan and whatnot. But this was the highest demo number, a 0.68, 0.68 in the demo. Remember, for comparison, AEW did a 0.44, NXT did a 0.22. So this is like three times what NXT did. Uh, this is the highest demo audience, uh, 1849 audience, since last year's post-WrestleMania, which was a disappointing number, but it's declined since then to, to such an extent, because partly because that's the nature of TV viewership in general. Uh, with people watching TV less. Uh, but their highest uh, demo number since last year's WrestleMania, they swept the top three slots in the 1849 audience. They were only behind American Idol on ABC and The Voice on NBC. So Vince, you've got to do more singing, I think, if you really want to <laughs> do even better. I think you need to become more of an entertainment show. Um, and what people are not talking about, we, I, I really... Um, I probably don't talk enough about the reality programs and, and their viewership. Ms. and Mrs. Uh, had the lead in from raw at 11 PM and they did 405,000 viewers. They did 0.26 rating in the demo. What does that mean? That is the highest demo number that they've done since season one in 2019. 
So this is a really good number. They ranked number 12 on the night among cable originals. Uh, that demo number is also the highest. That that rank is also the highest since 2019. So, <clears throat> but this was the, I guess this was the first, I, I don't watch Ms. and Mrs. I don't know if you do, Gullo. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I know it's just came back. I think this is like a new season. This, according to Wikipedia, this is still the same season. We're still, still on season two, okay. but this is the first new episode since December. We are still on season two, so, apparently, despite so the mid season finales. Th- th- that's what I, I guess. Know. Yeah. We're still on season two, despite there being two multi-month hiatuses here. Um, to go but, back to raw, mm-hmm. how bad do you think the drop is next week? Because, I mean, obviously, traditionally, we see, obvi- you know, the night after WrestleMania, and then, you know, I mean, it's not like they did anything, like, that. Or they're like, hey, tune in next week for this, what's going to happen. Like, the surprises were not, like, because I think they were trying to save that for SmackDown, at least what I thought. <laughs> so, I don't, I, I do expect to kind of go back to normal ratings for them next week. Yeah, yeah I expected to do a, a normal rating um, somewhere in the... 1.7 million viewers somewhere in that neighborhood um, getting close to, to dynamite in, in some uh, in some respects in some demos, you know, in December where um, AEW had a really strong December because it had winter is coming. It had that episode after winter is coming that we, we mentioned that did really even better. Uh, it had the, the Brody Lee uh, tribute episode that did a, a, you know, a lot of viewers as well um, in some demos, AEW, uh, in the same week was getting really close. And I think in, even on one occasion in 18 to 34, the younger half of the 18 to 39 uh, did better than raw in one week. So I w- it would be really curious to see, and I'm, it'll, I'm sure it'll be a fun Twitter game to watch uh, in what demos AEW comes the closest, or maybe even edges out raw uh, in, in the weeks to come. Um, yeah. Do you remember, I think, I don't know if we talked about this already since you've been doing this podcast with me here. Do you remember we, um, we did a, in 2019, in the weeks before, I think it was August, right? Was, NXT yes. had just been announced that it was going to go to the USA Network, and we like predicted what the- I uh, do remember this. Yes. And someone said that you're going to see younger viewers uh, tune out of Raw and SmackDown, and you'll see more younger people watch AEW or NXT or something like that. Um, but anyway, I, I, that'll be really inter- interesting to see. I think you know the Wednesday Night War, it gives, gives us a lot of um, evidence to show- this P50 plus audience, this WWE has this bank of loyal viewers who are over the age of 50, who it, in, at least in terms of a total viewership, it's going to be very difficult for AEW to ever overcome this, you know, this large audience that WWE has. It sort of, it speaks to what the traditional thought is about, about why 1849 is valuable and, and why P50 plus is not as valuable to an advertising uh, business because your uh your your 50 plus uh viewers are tend to be more brand loyal and you know apparently at least when it comes to behavior with linear tv viewership you got a a lot of people who have probably been very familiar with the w brand for many years decades and uh aw is, is a new thing that it may be harder to get them to try so but we'll see huge huge p50 plus audience this week but uh you know I, I, again, AEW doesn't care about P50 plus audience that much because that's, you know, Turner wants them to get those 18 to 49 viewers because that's where the ad money is. So uh, now we'll uh, move on to SmackDown, uh, which you would expect would have the maybe type of pop and circumstance that traditionally the night after 
Raw uh, WrestleMania would have, but this being really the new flagship show, how did they do, Brandon? So the first SmackDown since um, since WrestleMania, we don't really have great numbers about this. We just got fast overnights um, because they are a network program. Show those daily reports that, but two million looks looks. It looks like they did their unusual two million. It looks like they're behind Shark Tank and Blue Bloods uh, in the demo. My uncle Tom Selleck equals ratings. He does, <laughs> yes. Uh, my uncle works as like in, pr- in production on Blue Bloods or something. Oh, I've never really? watched. Cool. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we we do have clearer numbers about the the, the WrestleMania SmackDown, which is a two point two five uh, million viewer number, a point six one in the demo, which is I would say slightly above average for them, very slightly. I've got uh, in the in the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, which you can get access to at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, I have created a gauge tab, um, sort of like if you're driving a, a, a race car and you look down to see the gauges, you can see uh, I've, I've created a metric that will that tries to assess based on the latest episode numbers. You know, how out of the normal was this? How much was this a big overperformance or was this a big underperformance compared to the last four weeks? And uh, this is a slightly above average number for for SmackDown. This is the pre-WrestleMania SmackDown with um, okay. the Andre the Giant Battle Royal and all that. Which they tried to this do was, almost as a SmackDown pre, I mean, a uh, WrestleMania pre-show. This was WrestleMania SmackDown, or was it SmackDown WrestleMania? In any event, look forward, <laughs> look forward, looking forward to WrestleMania Backlash coming up. <laughs> I can't wait till we have WrestleMania SummerSlam and WrestleMania Survivor Series. Exactly. I think, you know, why not just, you know, WrestleMania, it all. Is, WrestleMania is this incredible brand that is recognized the world over. Why not just brand all of it WrestleMania? Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, I saw a tweet from uh, MLJ, Love Emil, and he's like, you know what? He goes, this is actually perfect because anybody you meet that's not a wrestling fan just thinks every event's WrestleMania. And he's right. Like, I, I remember being in a uh, an Uber in uh, New Orleans and the guy's like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, we just had WrestleMania two weeks or two months ago. So it's good to have WrestleMania again. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, you had Raw. <laughs> like, I have a great podcast idea. That you've just you just sparked in my mind. Next year, if the world is normal and uh, people are moving about in, in a somewhat normal way, uh, someone should go to WrestleMania weekend and record a series of podcasts that is nothing but conversations with their Uber drivers. <laughs> it would be good Patreon content. <laughs> yeah, because you've you've been to a WrestleMania weekend, you've had, gone you yes. know, used Ubers, and it's always like. This like kind of astonished Uber drivers like oh they, they're happy because they get lots of business here. There's lots of demand for for rides, and they're like, "What is this all about?" You know, it's great. <laughs> yeah, they're almost like like well, the one guy goes, "Where are you going to?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to a live podcast about wrestling." Yeah. He goes, "Why?" <laughs> like, <Yeah. I'm> like <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch, and you, and it's always like, "Oh yeah, I used to watch that back in the day." Kind of kind of guy, you know, King yeah. Kong Bundy and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Impact Wrestling in its second Thursday did a uh, a, a very normal number for them. I think one hundred thirty two thousand viewers, a point oh four in the demo. Not much granularity in the demo, but it does look like Impact is like doubling what they did in April twenty twenty in the demo. I am uh, intrigued to see because they did announce that uh, whoever wins the champion versus champion match, that person is going to be on that other person's program weekly. So if Omega does beat Swan, 
It's probably going to happen, right? I would imagine, which, yeah. boom. I'm interested to see if that, that does help them out a little bit. You know, people realize there's nothing else going on on Thursday. Omega's there. And maybe, maybe eventually 200,000. We'll see. It's happened a couple times. It definitely happened on, I think it's December 8th yeah. when he first yeah. appeared. Omega. Um, but yeah, the, um, and, and this had been, ha- this is not just an AEW Kenny Omega effect. Uh, I'm sure that's helping. But in the months before, before December, when he started to appear um, on, on Impact and other AEW personalities started to appear on Impact, uh, they had been doing better in 1849. We're comparing this to April of 2020, where the, the demo numbers were really low, just maybe a function of the pandemic and there being no crowd. I, I, I don't even know, actually. Like, what kind of programming were they putting out in April 2020 at that point? Were they doing uh, no, no fans tapings? Or did they have stuff in the can? I think that I think it was best of impact stuff because mm-hmm. I think right around that time is when they were redoing their app too. So with all the historical content, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm trying to remember because I know they went on a break for a while. I think they probably just showed best of, but they were like the first, like they have empty arena, like boom, they were ready in Nashville. I, I don't think it was too much far after everything shut down. Yeah. I, I should look into that. Somebody does the kind of research about ratings that I do. You should probably, should probably know that. So, um, all right, so uh, we're we're gonna move on to it. It's it's here, Brandon. It's here. You've been waiting for it. You were misquoted about it in news articles. It's here. The WWE proxy statement, and uh, and and once again, it's a proxy statement, not a power of attorney, as we saw <laughs> released in there was, certain news articles. There was one um, sports, some some sort of some sort of news aggregator that covers sports from uh, some, some, some sort of a international uh, region. Um, Brandon Teisinger was talking about how there was no power of attorney yet. And this could be very concerning to, um, to shareholders. I think, I think uh, ringside news uh, had been, had been covering this as well though, because we, I tweeted the, the clip of me talking about this. Um, but anyway, uh, the proxy statement finally did come out this week. I don't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but we have it. And uh, a proxy statement is a is a document. It's a fairly long document that publicly traded companies put out every year. That I think the intended purpose is to say, here's a bunch of information that shareholders want to know in advance of our annual shareholders meeting, which is coming up on May 27th. It sounds like it might be, I'm, we might be able to get access to the audio again. We'll see. Um <clears throat> We did last year. That's the first time I've ever heard audio of a WWE shareholders meeting, which is different. People may not know this, but it's different from an earnings report, which happens every quarter, which will be happening next week. Big day for you. We may have to do some sort of extra special audio. I don't know. We'll see. Or we may all do it by myself. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll get compensation information about the top uh, officers, the top corporate officers in WWE. We get update on ownership, how many shares everybody owns. And what we've learned is it's not that surprising. We've got some information about this before because we know about his agreement that that was already published. But Nick Khan has enough money to, uh, I, I, I did look, he's, he's not quite at, at the GDP of, of the smallest nations in the world, but uh, <laughs> not that far off either. Uh, 12, 13, if you round up, $13.0 million is how much he made from this company in the five months in 2020 that he worked for it. I mean, he's the highest paid uh, member of the board, right? If you just yes. look at compensation, yes. I and think that doesn't board- include stocks and all that. And- 
so so the board and the the board has independent people who don't actually work for the company, but they do get compensated by WB. I think they are they are largely compensated or or maybe exclusively compensated in shares. Um, we'll we'll get to the board uh, in a moment. Um, but Nick Khan's base salary, he made about a half a million dollars in his base salary this year. Of course, that's only five. He's only been working there since August. Same with Christina Salen, who's the new C- CFO. But if you, uh, it was a prorated salary, of course, right? So if you, if you, if that was a twelve-month period, it, it looks like he would have gotten an annual uh, salary of one point two million dollars. That's just his base salary, though. These are, I, I've I've come to learn that when you're a, an officer in a billion-dollar company like this, a lot of your compensation does not just come from your base salary. Um, but he got a five million dollars sign-on bonus, which we knew. So this will be an exceptional year of compensation, I think, for him. Um, of course, part of the agreement is he's sort of under a five-year contract here to to work for WWE for that amount of time. If he doesn't, if he works for WWE for a less amount of time than five years, he has to pay that part. Depending on when he leaves, if he if he left, if he was terminated or decides to leave, leave, he would uh, have to pay part of his bonus back to WWE. Um, so expect Nikon to be with this company for at least five years. I think is the moral of that story. Um, he also got an enormous stock award, which is part of that sign-on agreement as well. Um, so yeah, he got a $5 million cash bonus, it appears. And he got a $6 million award in stock units. He'll get another $9 million of stock units in September, 2022. I think this, I didn't quite understand this when I read it, but it, so, this is somewhat based on his performance, which is also part of the proxy statement where they uh, detail how stock-based compensation is determined. And that is determined by by the independent members of the board of directors so that there is some sort of, in theory, fairness to this. Um, Christina Salen, uh, her annual salary appears to be in the neighborhood of $876,000 per year. So short of, of a uh, Nick Khan's salary, Nick Khan has got a, mm-hmm. a higher base salary than triple H or Stephanie. He is short of the $1.4 million that, that Vince pays himself. None of this, by the way, includes dividends that, any shareholder gets when you're a shareholder like Vince McMahon, you have, I think 28 million shares, something like that. They, they just declared their dividend. They, they declare a dividend every quarter, which pays out 12 cents per share. So Vince gets something like three and a half million dollars per quarter besides all this. So Vince makes you know well over $10 million every year just from his dividends. That's probably his biggest source of, of income. Um, Stephanie has a, a, just short of 2 million shares as well. So she gets like hundred, something like $300,000 a quarter. Um, she is the second largest individual person shareholder. There are a couple institutions that have more shares than she does. Um, <clears throat> Stephanie and Paul Levesque, they have the same salary and they have for uh, at least the last two years. They have identical salaries down to the, to the dollar. Um, but Triple H usually get, makes a lot more because he's a wrestler and he has a, a bunch of big wrestling matches, including some in Saudi Arabia in the past and WrestleMania. Triple H staying the hell away from this pandemic, though, at least at least as far as having matches in it. He um, he did work one match. Did he? In he 2020? Did, he, he, uh, no, yeah, no, no, 2021, yeah. Yep, no, yeah. You're, you're talking right. you're talking about the, the Randy – I did think about this. The, the Randy I, Orton match. Yeah. I looked it up. Yeah. The, the Randy Orton match on Raw happened on January 11th, 2021. Which I think was sort of an impromptu. Uh, Drew McIntyre's got COVID, so we got to do something in here as a make good. So might not have happened otherwise. I guess is what I'm saying. 
He could have paid himself a salary for that one time he had to color commentate SmackDown when the pandemic first happened. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's right. Was it him and was it him and Phillips? Was him and, I almost wonder if they Johnny LaQuasto when it was brief time there he did that. I can't remember who he was with on that, but this is a great segue though, because he makes some sort of inside joke uh about the speculation that he had been demoted. Remember this? Yeah. Yeah, I I do remember that. And there was a new stories because, everywhere. Because the proxy statement had just come out and Brandon Thurston had tweeted about it and said, well, Paul of X got a new title. He's now the executive vice president of global talent and strategy and development, as opposed to like the executive vice president of live events, talent and creative, which was his previous title. Um, so everybody added in. Well, Meltzer had written that he was demoted. I did not say that he was demoted. Um, I just, I disputed that because not because I think triple H is awesome, but because I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Um, and I, and I said at the time, you know, if we see the proxy statement come out next year and there's somebody else being compensated more generously than he is, and and, and we, we don't. Um, now, maybe his wrestler pay makes that um, less transparent. But um, in previous years, we've seen people like Kevin Dunn on here, uh, but we don't. So I, 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 I'm skeptical that there's anybody uh, being compensated a base salary higher than him who is not listed here. So I don't... Whether, whether Vince sees him as having failed to take a bigger bite out of AEW or not. I don't know. That's a different question, but it doesn't look like he's been promoted in any sort of, or been demoted in any sort of monetary sense. He's still got an identical salary to, to Stephanie. So, um, and, uh, so you saw new, you talked about maybe new names, surprising names. Well, we could talk about the board of directors that have added but, a but couple names. There's a few oh. more things first. Okay. We've we've got um we we got compensation here for Frank Riddick. We won't get into that, but that's he was he was the interim CFO between George Barrios and uh, Christina Salen. But we've got George Barrios still taking a million dollars from this company. That is right. I saw that severance. <laughs> yep. He's getting that one million severance, baby. Which which probably means that that Michelle Wilson got got very similar, if not exactly the same amount, um, because they were co presidents, and I think their I think their severance was identical. Um, I think that was published. So I just thought that was not so, not that surprising when you think about it, but amusing that e- even though he only worked one month for this company in 2020, he still got a million dollars. So uh, that's fun. Um, yeah, Shane McMahon. We always get disclosure about Shane McMahon's pay because he's a fa- he's a family member. Um, he's not an executive. He owns no shares. He's just a talent, Pro- technically. He is just a performer. Although he, reportedly he is he is working in some capacity as a producer in some cases. Um, he was paid eight hundred and twenty thousand dollars in twenty twenty for his role as a performer. So uh, he has been listed in in previous years in terms of his ownership, even years after he left the company. Um, but since then, so like since two thousand fourteen, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that he's owned any shares. I think he, I think he liquidated everything and probably uh, put it, used it in some in some sense in in his his other business projects. But, um. Shall we talk about the uh, the board of directors? Yeah, there were some new board of directors that were listed, Brandon. Yeah, so Nick Khan. So the who are who is on the board right now? Um, do you, do you have any guesses about who's on the board right now, Golo? Uh You know, obviously Vince McMahon, Nick Khan would be the on chairman. The board. Chairman. Yes. Um, the uh, I believe is Stephanie on the board. She is a board yes. member. Yes. Uh, and then there is like people on the board and some of the new people we talked about that technically like aren't really 
working for the company, but they're in make, helping make decisions. It seems they like. they are they are independent directors. So I think you are. I don't okay. know if, if this is, this is law or, or, or rule, but you have a number of independent directors who I, I think you know they 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 have shares. They're given shares as yeah. at least part, if not all, of their compensation, and they they are part of various committees. So I think they sort of make rules that are intended to be. Um, you know, in, intended to represent shareholders and not necessarily represent the interests of the executives who may, who maybe have conf- otherwise have conflicts of interest. So, um, Triple H, Paul Avec is also a member of the board of directors. Okay. He's been a me- member of the board of directors for a few years now. Nick Khan um, will will be elected as a member of the board of directors in the next shareholders meeting. <clears throat> but uh, Frank Riddick is still a member of the board of directors. He was before his his time as interim CFO, and uh, that's where he came from. Um, other other names: Jeffrey Speed, who is a former uh, executive for Six Flags; Laureen Ong, who is a former executive for the Travel Channel. These people have been board members for a long time. Uh, Stuart Gould, Goldfarb, his name is missing. Uh, he has up to this point been a a member of the board of directors. He is a co-founder and partner of of Mellow Seven Tech Partners. I don't know what that is, but uh, Manjit Singh has been a member of the board of directors for about a year or so. He's a former Sony executive. Alan M. Wexler has been a member of the board of directors for a few years. He is the senior vice president of innovation and growth at, at GM, the auto, auto company. Steve Payman is a relatively new member of the board of directors. He's been very involved with Beyonce's world. Um, I've, I've speculated that maybe someday he, he he's a candidate for being C- CEO of WB someday or interim CEO. Maybe that's Nick Khan, though. Okay. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, and Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports is is another relatively new member of the board of directors. That is not included. I new, find that very ones. interesting. Yeah. So you have any thoughts about that? Uh, just, I know Barstool Sports has really gotten their hands into wrestling. I mean, they're the, they're the only platform that could literally have a wrestling podcast, a premiere, and it just beats most wrestling podcasts in the ratings with like a guy that no one really knew and this and that. Boom. They're, they're right in the top five almost every week. So uh, I know Barstool, obviously they're looking to get their hands more in wrestling, which I mean, it's, it's more content. It's, it's another audience. So, yeah. So she's helping make decisions, whether it's helping do whatever the board does. So these are people who don't work day to day with WB, but it doesn't, but obviously does include Vince and Stephanie and Paul and Nikon. These are people who do work for W day to day. But anyway, there are two new members of the board of directors, Steve Coonan, who is the current CEO of the Atlanta Hawks. And he also is in charge of the, State Farm Arena in Atlanta. He is the former president of Turner Entertainment Networks, where he oversaw TNT and TBS. And uh, Chris Zellner pointed out to me that he was, um, I think he had some involvement in, in the final days of, w- of WCW, which I don't know anything about. Do you know? Uh, I'd have to go look back at the Nitro book if, if he's listed at all. Um, I mean, that does kind of sound familiar. It wasn't like a big player, but yeah, Nitro book, by the way, <clears throat> totally recommend it. Absolutely awesome book. And between the sheets, did a great Patreon podcast about the uh, the final weeks of of WCW, uh, which is uh, always great history lessons. And Connor Shell is another will be another new member. These people have to be elected, but as I'll explain in a moment, it's it's basically a moot point. Um, yeah, Connor <laughs> Connor Shell, uh, who is the former executive vice president of content at ESPN until very recently. Uh, he is also an executive, was the executive, or maybe still is the executive producer for the 3430 series on ESPN, which which uh, a couple of years ago did a, ES, uh, did a XFL episode. Yep. Maybe they that, did a Ric Flair episode as well, and they used a lot right. of WWE. And uh, on the, well, it's not technically 30 for 30, but same umbrella. For the last dance, they WWE supplied them with WCW uh, 
footage of Dennis Rodman. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> so these, these people will be up for election on May 27th. Um, if you are a WWE shareholder, you can vote at that time. Um, however, one man controls 80% of the voting shares. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the man that never sleeps. <laughs> Nick, Nick Khan? No. 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 Oh, I feel like he gets a little more sleep than Vince McMahon. Probably. Uh, so we also, as part of the proxy statement, get an update on, on shareholders who own more than 5% of, of shares and, and uh, any members of the board of directors. So um, Vince McMahon uh, owns about 28 million shares, which means he owns about 38% of the shares, which is less than a majority. However, as we've talked about a number of times here on WrestleNomics, Vince McMahon, just like Mark Zuckerberg, is a founder and their company went public with two classes of shares, class A shares for the common folks and class B shares for McMahon's. So Steph- Stephanie also owns class B shares. Vince owns class B shares. Uh, Linda holds a relatively small number of class B shares. Shane used to have class B shares before he cashed them out. And that means that Vince McMahon, for every one share that he has, his shares count 10 times as much in terms of voting. Still, still the same value if you were to sell his shares, but he, his shares count 10 times as much. Stephanie's do too. And that means that Vince controls 80% of the voting power. Making sure he can never be pushed out. He's not having a Ted Turner happen. <laughs> did, did, is that what happened to Ted, Ted Turner? When they, yeah, when the merger and everything and more people gained share control and all that, they, they pushed him out. Yeah. yeah. So Vince would have to, I mean, it, it probably depends on who, who else owns what, but Vince would have to sell his current balance of shares down to a very small number for, for him to not have 50% or 51% of, of voting power. Um, as usual, as always, the other large shareholders besides Stephanie, Stephanie, as I said, she owns about 3% of the stock, owns about 5% of the voting power, uh, that Linda owns about 2% of the voting power, about 1% of the stock. Um, those are, those are individuals. The largest institutional owner, as it has been the case for a number of years now is Linsdale train limited, which is a UK financial institution. Um, and then BlackRock and Vanguard, which are mutual yeah. fund companies, who um, this is probably WWE is probably one of like hundred, maybe hundreds of thousands of, of companies that they probably own. Yeah, uh, Vanguard is a very, very, very diverse portfolio. Yeah, I've seen on that, as well as Cadian uh, Capital Management, which is a name that I always see here that I don't don't know that much about, and and, and I think this is a relatively new new one to me. Independent Franchise Partners, I think they are a UK firm as well. But, uh, and then, the, then there's like the, uh, so the, uh, of all the people that we just mentioned, these, those people own 78% of the stock. Then there's the, the rest of the world owns 27% of the stock. Again, almost completely made up of financial institutions. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of retail investors, some of whom may be listening right now, but it's in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's such a small sliver. Yeah. The WWE stockholders on Robin hood is very minute compared to everything else. Does it show you what, what do you see there? Does it like show you how many uh, people are, are investing? Uh, let me see here. Cause uh, a friend of the show, Jonathan Ash in, invest on a uh, mm. Robin through Robin hood on WWE. And he, he was, he was showing me uh, before we even talked, I saw like, yeah, he goes, you really can't vote anybody out, out on the, out of the board here. <laughs> like it's pretty much. No. Yeah. It's happening. Uh, let's see here. I'm 
wonder if you can see anything. Currently going at $56.49. That's right. A share. That's right. Um, but I don't. That's not really giving me much. Yeah, it's, you know, it has the like quarter earnings and all that, but it doesn't give me much uh, on there. They, they they employ 900 people. That's, That's right. Yes. Too. So, yeah. So, yeah, pretty, pretty basic report. image. I've been, I got caught in the, the, the doji coin, uh, a mania on really? Friday, so yeah. Thursday, are you are you a Doge? Are you a Dogecoin owner? Hey, I'm a Dogecoin owner, but now how much Doge? Down a little what? bit. I just bought like a hundred bucks, but now I'm now I'm, now it's worth eighty four dollars. So, but I'm gonna stay, and I'm hoping it goes back up. Uh, I've been talking regularly with another friend of the show, Kevin Bennett, about it, and we think it's wow. it's gonna hit a dollar eventually. Is Kevin Bennett into the Dogecoin? Yes, he is. Yes. Wow. Which yeah. is you know, an independent wrestler and rapper producer. Kevin Bennett. And Dogecoin investor. And Dogecoin investor. Dogecoin Moogle. The remix. Anyway. Um, that's all for the proxy, I think. All right. And then uh, you did have on here of some uh, SEC correspondence uh, for WWE. Yes, that's my favorite topic in the world of correspondence. This actually had been out there for a number of months, but I just came across it the other day. And uh, it totally... Uh, upset my sleep cycle. Actually, what upset my sleep cycle is is our taping, our post WrestleMania uh, recording, and t- <laughs> and which which had me up until like two in the morning editing. Um, let's never do that again. Let's never let's never record that late again. <laughs> um, no, yeah. But so I, I, I after the proxy statement came out, I was I, browsing through WWE's SEC filings for some reason, and I came across oh yeah, there's every now and then you get this correspondence here where apparently they have to publish certain correspondence that they have with the securities and exchanges commission. And uh, one of my favorite wrestling personalities, wrestling related personalities is, is Mr. Lynn Shank from the sec who corresponds with uh, various people at WB, including former now former senior vice president, uh, Mark Cowell, um, where he, where he wrote to, uh, to WB that WB has a, uh, in their annual report, they they uh, where they break down geographic information and break down some information about their overall revenues. Uh, they wrote that in in the paragraph below one of these tables, they said, "All right, we have two. This was their 2019 annual report, so not the most recent one, but the one before that. Uh, something like over 100 pages of of information in this. But uh, one of the paragraphs reads you know, there were two c- customers with revenues that individually in ex- in excess of 10 percent." of total net revenues there. So they, they have two customers that are giving WB more than 10% of their revenues. Um, and, that, and that's all the information that they disclosed about that. that oh, they also mentioned that they were primarily getting those revenues in the media segment. WB has three segments, the uh, media segment, live event segment, and consumer product segment. And uh, in June of this year, but in June of of last year. Yeah, obviously, because June hasn't happened yet this year. June 17th, 2020, um, there was this correspondence. The original letter was written in January of, of 2019. Anyway, what they, they told WWE, hey, look, in this paragraph where you mentioned that you've got two customers that are contributing to more than 10% of your, your net revenues, you've got to tell us who those, well, they don't have to tell us who those people are, but you have to tell us how much, how much revenue they're contributing. Not just that, not just this General, yeah, they're giving us ten, more than ten percent. So Mark Cowell, who who at the time I think he's now left WB, but at the time was the senior vice president of of uh, of something financial related, uh, 
wrote to to uh, the SEC. Okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll do, we'll do this, and here's an example of how it will look in the future. Um, based on you know, here's an example of what it would have looked like in our annual report had we written it as you as you wanted us to. So they write net revenues uh, for these two customers that are giving us an excess of ten percent of our of our total revenue in 2019 were approximately two hundred and seven thousand. This is actually these are already in thousands, so this is really millions. Uh, were approximately two hundred seven million dollars and two hundred ten million dollars respectively uh, in 2018. Uh, were approximately $176 million and $110 million, respectively. And during the year 2017, we just had one customer uh, that was giving us an excess of 10% of our revenue, and that customer gave us $155 million. So that is, I had not, not come across this information before. Saw this on like a Wednesday night. I was up all night, like fascinated, doing spreadsheets. The next day, I have now, I thought I was going to maybe do a video about this. Maybe I still will. I have now made a 44-page PowerPoint about this. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, who do you think these two customers are? Remember, this is this is we're all, we're, we'll talk about 2020 in a moment. We're talking about the years of 2017, 2018, 2019, 2017, 2018. There's two customers that are giving them more than 10% of the revenues. In 2017, there's only one. Who are these two customers, Chris Call? Uh, so it goes till 2019, you said, right? Yes. Don't think about 2020 yet. We will later. So Fox would be one? Not yet. Not yet. New new so deals kick in. New deals kicked in October 2019. So only a quarter of the year. So NBC Universal yes. is one of them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the second one's tough. Who gives W a lot of money? Saudi Arabia. The <laughs> Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. So $110 million a year from this second largest customer. Hmm. If you split that in half, you get $55 million and another $55 million. I, I thought up to this point that each one of those events was about $50 million. Turns out they're about $55 million, according to this. And, and because those, those, those are, it's, it's relatively simple compared to what NBC Universal is doing in terms of trying to figure out what goes where. Um, so it's just, just two pieces of business, right? Two events per year. So $55 million. And it, and it, it matches in 2018 and 2019. $110 million in both years, pretty pretty clear. That, that's got to be Saudi Arabia. And W's biggest customer, pretty clearly, has got to be NBC Universal. So then we move on to the... So this is this all happened in 2020. 2020 ended. W wrote its, its 2020 annual report, which it put out in February, just a couple months ago. Um, and it wrote in this same section of the annual report, um, net revenues for these two customers that paid us more than 10% of our total revenues were approximately $270 million and $183 million, respectively. Who do you think those two customers are for 2020? So Fox would be one of them. And then would the second be NBC Universal? Yeah. Which one do you think is, is bigger? You would think Fox, but yet NBC Universal does have two shows. Yes. So which one do you think is bigger? I'm going to go NBC Universal. I'm going to go the wild card. You have to be correct in that. Um I mean, it doesn't explicitly say, but I the, the the bigger one I think has to be NBC Universal, and the other one, 183 million dollars in 2020. There was only one Saudi Arabia show, uh, has to be Fox, um, and and I think Fox would have been bigger even if there had been Saudi Arabia shows because Saudi Arabia would have, would still have only come to 110 million dollars. That also tells us that there's probably no escalators in in these in this the Saudi contract um, because it was the same from 18 and 19. So. 
From this, we learn that WB receives about $55 million from the Saudi government for each event. Um, and I, and I think we, I will, I will try to get into this in some greater detail, but I think we might be able to deduce the rate of escalation for Fox for the Fox deal. And we might just might be able to, uh, maybe get some insight on the, the value of the, at least the first NXT deal with NBC universal to be on the USA network. What I, I think basically my, t- my takeaway, I've done a, a ton of math on this and I try to play out a lot of different scenarios with where it, it largely centers around the question of how much. So NBC universal, let's talk about where, what money is NBC universal giving to, to WB? We know in, t- in 2020 it was $270 million, but what are they paying for? They're paying for raw, which we know over the, over the five years between 2020 and 2024, it's really from Q4 2019 to Q4 2024. They're paying WB an average over those five years of $265 million, according to the Hollywood Reporter, which has basically been all but confirmed by WB itself. Um, so there's raw, just raw. But then NBC Universal is also paying WB for reality programming, such as The Miz and Mrs. and Total Bellas. Just those two at this point. There's no more Toll Divas episodes yeah, being Toll produced. Yeah, Toll Divas is gone, yeah. Um, and then whatever's left out of that would go would probably go to NXT alone. So I think reality TV is worth about 20 to $30 million per year, around a million dollars per episode. Um, so if we can f- estimate how much WB made just for Raw in 2020, and if we can estimate how much WB made for reality programming in 2020, we subtract those values from 270 and we get the NXT number for 2020. Um, it still depends on the rate of escalation for the raw contract. It depends on whether there were any changes in, in the compensation for, for the reality programs, which we, which we have no real facts about anyway. Um, but, but I, I find it, I find that the scenarios where NXT makes like 40 or $50 million a year to be less plausible than the scenarios in which it makes like, maybe $20 million a year, or maybe, maybe even a little less than that. So I will try to, to maybe make a video or an article or something in, in the, in the, like this week that explains this in some sort of digestible terms. But, uh, it looks like to me in my judgment and opinion that NXT is at least its first deal. We have no idea whether the, the new deal, we can talk about more about that in a moment though, whether the new deal was an increase, a decrease or a, or a, the same value. Um, but we know AEW's worth 43 and a half, roughly million dollars a year. So this would put NXT at about half of that for what it's worth. And, and when it comes to, you know, your sort of your value per viewer, um, probably still well under Raw SmackDown, but, but then again, they're lower on the chart in terms of how, how close they are to the top. Uh, they're, they're, I, I think the, the, the most popular, most watched programs are, are super valuable, almost like logarithmically more valuable than, than the programs below it. Because people are, I think in the, the economics work out and like in theory, people are, people are holding on to their cable subscriptions because of the, the programs that they watch most often, which sort of is obvious, right? So the programs that are, that the, the fewer people watch are almost exponentially less valuable because they're not um, contributing to this to uh, retention of, of cable and satellite subscriptions or VMVPD subscriptions. So, so I, so, so I think like the, the lower you are on the chart, 
you get way more valuable, not just, not just, um, in a, in a linear sense, more valuable, if that makes sense. All right. So with that, I do have one more question for you before we wrap mm. up, Brandon. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and those of you who listen to WrestleNomics or follow the WrestleNomics Twitter or follow Brandon, you know that WWE has had a, that had a very, very, very good quarter one and are looking to have a very, very good quarter two. And the rumors, the rumblings, the reports were uh, the 10 people that were released this week and the mass roster cuts on April 15th, which is the same date that happened last year. They were told it was due to budget cuts. (laughs) What are your thoughts, Brandon? The timing would tell you that there's something to that um, because it was at the same time last year. So maybe there's some sort of recurring calendar issue where they're trying to meet a certain amount of, you know, they're trying to lower their expenses ahead of something. Um, Obviously W is more profitable than it's ever been. And we'll probably have another year this year where they're similarly profitable. Um, they're more profitable today than they were in the attitude era, even if you adjust for inflation. Um, but I, I could see, uh, you know, somebody telling talent relations, okay, we got to, we got to cut our expenses under, under this, under this benchmark here. And so John Laurinaitis or whomever sat down and said, okay, we got to cut some people or or who can we most afford to to get, to get rid of. So that's what they did. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Samoa Joe was maybe, uh, you know, Samoa Joe was probably the biggest name here. And it was probably, I would guess because he's the biggest name here, but probably the most highly compensated among the ones who were cut. But uh, yeah, it was probably just a matter of trying to, to, to get under a certain number. It's not, it's not as if obviously WWE is, it needs to, to cut costs to stay profitable, but yeah. they want to, but you want to uh, run a lean company. Um, I think this is different than last year in terms of being able to make a moral judgment. Like last year, it, there was far more uncertainty and last year it was not just talent that was cut, right? No, People, producers. The, the, the media, the wrestling media world uh, focuses on the wrestlers because those are the names that you'd recognize. Those are the personalities that you see on TV, but they cut and furloughed a ton of employees as well. So there was a lot of that, that happening, which I think is, it's one thing to cut talent who are already making six figures or, or a lot more. It's another thing to cut employees who are more like everyday people in the middle of a pandemic where there's vast uncertainty in a year where you're going to be your most profitable ever. I think it's different now in that right, we've been with this pandemic for about a year. The economy has not completely fallen, fallen apart, although there is still increased unemployment, but uh, yeah, it's, and it, and there's, Apparently, no employees cut. Although we are not that far removed from employees having their uh, their bonuses cut, but they did get some some stock awards, which have now vested. Oh my god, what was that? Uh, it's just uh, one of my shelves. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is it, fine. It was it was the Jedi powers of Vince McMahon. Yeah, Thank God, God damn it. It. Tell me how to run my company. <laughs> okay, but um. Yes, but but yeah. So with that, uh, Brandon, this looks like it wraps up a uh, another. Yeah. How are you, how are you feeling? Are you are you surviving? Uh, I'm I'm okay, but I'm not gonna lie. I cannot wait to go lay on my couch. Okay. <laughs> like it's it, like I said, it, I'm holding it up here. You know, I took some uh, you know Dayquil and and ate wow. an orange, a whole orange before the wow. the broadcast. And uh, so that's all we have for this week. Do you have anything new to plug? Yeah, uh, this Wednesday, uh, you can check out uh, RTI Pod on Twitter, Rediscovering Indies on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Part two 
of X or XPW deep dive. And on this one, we're going to talk about a lot of things. You know, Rob Black ran for mayor of Los Angeles in 2001. We're, we're going to talk about that. No, we did not. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that. We are actually going to talk about the free fall incident with New Jack and Vic Grimes. Uh, we're going to talk about them losing their TV deal with America One, which you have to do that is is you have to take some skill to do that uh um but uh and 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 there's so much more that we cover uh there's you know there here's an interesting thing i did not know that wcw were trying like we're still telling employees that they couldn't work certain promotions after they sold the company wwe and like WWE didn't pick up certain contracts for example we find out in this conan they told him he wasn't allowed to work at XPW, and if he did, it'd be a breach of contract, and they would stop paying him. And same thing with Shane Douglas. <laughs> so, which Conan was still working Mexico and Puerto Rico and all that, but because it was the United States, they found out about it. All right. This is WWE Q1 week coming up, covering the period of January 1st to March 31st. So just short of WrestleMania. No, and probably no WrestleMania information, unless they want to throw something out there for some reason. But that's coming up. The earnings report is coming up on Thursday. Uh, information will will drop the, just after the market closes around 4.30 p.m. Eastern. And then there will be a conference call at 5 p.m. Eastern with all of our favorite superstars, including Vince McMahon, Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon, and Christina Salen. That will be happening. I will be covering it in detail on Twitter. And maybe we'll do something here for, for patrons, something special, because that's a special day. Um, I'm appearing with Post Wrestling also later this week. I'm getting my second vaccine dose later this week. And uh, yeah, you can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. You can go to WrestleNomics.com and read things. And you can uh, follow me at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston. And he's Chris Gullo. And we'll talk to you next time.